welcome to the back page of Video Games Podcast. I'm Samuel Roberts, and I'm joined as ever by Matthew Castle. Hello. Matthew, big news for you first of all. Oh um, yeah. I, I'm going to menu Gordon Jones this week. So, oh, ooh la la. Yeah, so when I'm on the podcast next time, I will recount every single course they served me. And I've gone for the nine course menu, not the seven course one. I didn't so, even know there was a difference. <laughs> yeah, I think they added it this year, and it's like another twenty quid, and low, and there's like another two glasses of wine that go with it. So oh. it's gonna it's gonna put me on my ass. But um, wow, yeah, someone's we'll, coming to a bit of money. Uh, well, you know, it's this is basically what I've spent on it will basically be everyone's gas bill next year. Like so, it's, <laughs> so you know, enjoying so it while I can. The, the option is gas or a very tiny quiche. <laughs> Yeah, containing an extremely rare form of, like, salmon or something like that. Um, <laughs> so, yes, uh, that's a thing I'm doing. But the other broader podcast-related announcement, Matthew, is that we are confirmed going to do a Patreon for the podcast. So, Ooh. I don't know I'm acting surprised. I knew this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we've been thinking about this for quite a long time, and we think now is a good time to sort of go ahead with it. So... I suppose, Matthew, if I ask you what your thoughts are on doing it, because we've talked about this on and off for quite a while, so doing a Patreon, where are you at with it, sort of mentally? I think the thing we both agree on is that we wanted to offer something extra to those that wanted. We didn't want it to be too much, just sort of give us give us, give us, us money for just listening to the podcast. I'm not, like, personally wild about Patreons, which are, like, mainly that. You listening is is kind of enough. I, I don't want anyone to feel like they're being cut off from the good stuff at all. But uh, at the same time, hopefully create something um, a bit extra, some extra good stuff that, that, that people uh, can enjoy if they want to. We put quite a bit of effort into it. Yeah, I think actually you know, being able to make a little something from it would would, you know, obviously it would be good for us, but also just makes it sort of slightly more sustainable because quite a lot of work goes into it unseen i think <laughs> yeah it does it's sort of like it's one of those things where it can take up to about i don't know if you include playing games as well sometimes it's been like a, a 10 hour of a week thing on like you know just in spare time and stuff like that and mm. i really um enjoy doing it for sure that's uh that's definitely not changed but like it's more the thing of if we have this element to it there's basically no reason for it to move to the bottom of the pile of things in the sense that like if one of us suddenly becomes really busy this thing takes can take priority because it's sort of it's paying us for like the time that we're putting into it yeah. so sustainable makes sense yeah so, sam if you're getting nervous that i'm just gonna flake out you know you can say we don't have to lock <laughs> me in with money you know <laughs> no 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 not at all <laughs> is that what this is this is secretly what do they call it golden handcuffs <laughs> No, so I'm happy to be completely transparent about it as well. Like the podcast currently costs twenty four dollars a month to maintain. It's just through Buzzsprout, our provider. Um, that's perfectly fine. I'd like to pay contributors, so we'll probably say like we'll get to a certain tier where we'll be able to offer a flat fee to contributors, and then me and Matthew will split the rest of it in half. That's like being completely transparent. That's mm. how we'll do it. So yes, it kind of like uh, gives us people a, a reason to come on that sort of thing. But we'll scale this up and down depending on the you know, on the money we make, we're not like super expecting like, you know, we're not one of those like YouTubers who does it and gets like 10 grand on day one. Um, it will not be that. <laughs> no, I just, I, what, what I want is it to be 
not so low that we just have to close the Patreon quietly and never <laughs> mention it again. I don't want the because that's the big thing with Patreon is is you're basically putting a price on your personal popularity, yeah, which is yeah. incredibly risky because you have to have guts to do that and thick skin. <laughs> yeah, and so I think like in my head. I'm expecting about like a hundred quid to start with, or something like that. Like I'm not, oh. uh, you know. We'll that, see how it that goes. Would keep me in Rennie quite happily. <laughs> well, that's the thing is, I'm not expecting like gangbusters cash. Like covering the cost would be nice, and then we can kind of like build in it from there. Like to give people an idea of how we're going to structure it as well. There won't be any like super outrageous tiers where it's like 200 quid and you get to spend a day with at JC's kitchen with me and Matthew or something. Like we're not doing that sort of thing. There'll be two tiers. One will be like a, a tip jar style one pound tier to just say thank you for the podcast if you want to. We've literally had people send us money on Patreon, sorry, on PayPal before, um, just to the podcast email account. So um, I think a few people have asked me about, oh, how can we support the podcast? Say thank you, that sort of thing. There'll be a tier for that, basically. There won't be any rewards attached to it, but we'll be very grateful, of course. And then there'll be another tier, which is a five pound tier where there'll be an extra podcast a month. And then if we hit a stretch goal, we'll do two extra podcasts a month. And the first podcast will be best boss battles in games. So that's an idea of like what you get if, you, um, if you'd like to support us. But no pressure, and we only want people to do it if they can afford it, not to feel pressured into doing so. We'll still make, yeah. you know, a, a podcast a week will still happen no matter what. So, and um, and yeah. the, the main podcast is the main podcast. Like, the, the other stuff is sort of extra fun, I think. But, you know, we're not going to, like, hide uh, drafts or the best of the years behind paywalls ever. No, it's going to be, like, I would say, like, listy content, but, like kind of itemized from games type listy content will be our starting point and then if we do a second podcast a month we might do uh, something a little bit different so we'll see how that goes but Ooh. um yes that's uh, that's the housekeeping taken care of matthew sometime in march people can look out for that we'll um actually like make it go live the week that we put up our best games of 2012 episode because those episodes are always really big so it'll guarantee lots of attention that sort of thing but we'll also put on twitter and stuff when um when you can back it if you'd like to but um yeah Ooh. That's uh, that's that, Matthew. So, to this episode, we're making an episode about the Uncharted games. Talked about these plenty before in the podcast, but always happy to talk about them again. There is an Uncharted film out. It has made lots of money at the box office at the time I'm saying this. And it's uh, a personal favourite series of, of me and Matthew. And at the same time, uh, Sony has recently re-released Uncharted 4 and Lost Legacy on PS5 in a fancy new edition uh, called the... What is the edition called, Matthew? I want to... Oh god! Good, I good research. <laughs> Thieves edition or something. Thieves. <laughs> Let's call it that. Listen, I've got to. I've got to get ahead of something. Sam, let me plan this episode. <laughs> so if it's chaotic, it's entirely on me because Sam is very diligent and I'm not. <laughs> it was. Um, it's Uncharted Legacy of Thieves collection. There so we go. That's on. <laughs> so that's on PS5, and it's also um, coming to PC as well, which is nice uh, for PC players. It's uh, you can also get it if you've got the other two games. You can just spend like is it like five quid, Matthew? Something like that, ten quid, maybe. I think, I think it's I think it's a tenner. I think you can bang in, but technically, if you didn't own the other games, you only need one of them. So you buy like a cheap pre-owned copy of Uncharted Four, of which there are many, for like right. a tenner or fifteen quid. Bang that in, pay the ten pounds, and then you get both the games because they're both in the collection. So actually there are some quite cheap routes to getting it on ps5 all right so i only own a physical copy of uncharted 4 um if, if i own lost legacy digitally which i do does that mean i i can i can download the uncharted 4 edition on there as a I result think, i think no you need you do need the disc 
Okay. I think because it uses like the disc as a key. Right, right. If you've if you've got the digital edition of Eva, you can't upgrade that into it. I think that's the deal. Well, that's uh, it's, uh, you know, yeah. it's classic, simple Sony PlayStation Five uh, marketing. I, I think it's. Um, I think they've done like these upgrades pretty pretty nicely so far. Actually, like um, Death Stranding being like a fiver, and then like. Um, the uh, it's free. The Horizon uh, frame rate bump. Yeah, that, that, free. The Last of Us two I, bump. You know, I I just want them all free though. Right, right. Because they have that, that's how it is on Xbox. You just put it in and it goes. All oh, right, this is the one you want, obviously. But obviously, Xbox doesn't have these first party delights, which everyone wants. Um, did you see the stat about? Uh, sales of Forbidden West. Uh, no. Because with Forbidden West, if you're buying the disc, there is literally no reason to be, buy the PS5 version because the PS4 comes with the free PS5 upgrade. But yet, it's still the PS5 one still is like accounts for like 60% of copies sold. Madness. Why don't people do their research? It's like, you know, potentially 20 quid cheaper if you buy it on PS4. Well, that's a good starting point, um, anyway. We'll, sa- um, we'll save that one for the uh, What Have We Been Playing episode in whenever we do the next one. Oh yeah, yeah. I've been playing the original Horizon too, so we um, well, yeah, we can have a big about. Horizon chat. Yeah, that's something we've not really talked about much in the podcast before, other than um, you complaining about it in relation to Breath of the Wild. But uh, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> good stuff. So the, the other thing is, Matthew, this this PS5 version of Uncharted is more than a frame rate bump, isn't it? It is like shinier. It is just it looks tons nicer. I would say than the PS4 one, like yeah, a noticeable I, massive yeah. leap. I wouldn't say I'm like digital foundry when it comes to my analysis on these things. Right. Um, but they have, you know, Naughty Dog, are, they're touting it as our first PS5 game. So they're right. like, this is us on PS5. This is what we're doing. I mean, to my eyes, it kind of looks how I remember the original looking. Maybe there's some lighting, subtle lighting differences because it is a beautifully lit game. But I mean, even if it was just the frame rate boost, that is awesome for the visual density of these games and crazy animation and the motion of them actually being able to see it smooth is like a huge boost i felt this when they did the remastered collection for playstation 4 like you know playing 2 and 3 again you know it's like not a completely new game but you're seeing it's it's such an impressive boost that it it does carry some weight i think Oh yeah, for sure. I thought that uh, the um, that was Blue Point who did that. Yeah, uh, the uh, Nathan Drake collection, and that was that was phenomenal. And um, I do think you get a similar kind of effect from this. Like I've only played the first bit of Uncharted Four um, with the disc copy, as Matthew mentions. Um, but uh, yes, I um, even just that kind of like opening boat sequence. It's like I remember that seeming slightly juddery on PS4. Yeah, and then like. To just see it just, uh, you know, amped up in this way. This was always the game where I was like, I would just love, of all the PlayStation 4, like, big exclusives, this is the one I'd love to see at a higher frame rate. And the fact they've done it, and it's relatively simple to get hold of, you know, barring getting hold of a PS5, which is, you know, not not that easy, seemingly. Um, it is uh, it's fantastic, and I um, I agree. Now the entire series minus uh, uh, what's it, Golden Abyss, is now um, future proof, Matthew. So that's <laughs> um, that's good for everyone involved. But yeah, um, so um, yes, I think then like um, it's extra shiny, very reasonable price, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really glad that they've they've done this. Um, I've have a lot of affection for these games. So in this first part, we're going to talk a bit about the film which Matthew has seen. 
and uh, a little bit more about this new collection. And then in um, in part two, we've got a few more sort of reflections on the series, sort of deeper dive stuff. And then we've got like some lists at the end of our like best sort of levels and stories and things like that. A bit like the Pokemon games episode, we've divided it up into um, to different sort of themed lists rather than a kind of straight ranking of the series. So, yeah. Matthew, I suppose the question to ask here is, because for people who get a PS5 who didn't have a PS4, aren't that familiar with, you know, obviously didn't have a PS3, that seems even more implausible. Um, they get they get this and they see the Uncharted uh, Legacy of Thieves collection. Do you think this is the best entry point for an Uncharted fan to uh, to get started, a new Uncharted fan? It's tricky because Uncharted 4 feels like a, an end game. It's, it's a big, like, nostalgic love letter to the other Uncharted. And while it's completely, like, perfectly self-contained... I do wonder if some of its strength is diminished if you haven't played the others, because it like leans into it. Maybe more so at the start, it kind of leans in. You know, it's a bit of a victory lap um, for the first couple of hours, and then it sort of settles into its own adventure a bit more. And I would say because of that blue point port of the other games, I'd say there's still a case for jumping into those first. Yeah, I agree with you. I think you have to be super, super fussy to think that the um original games aren't worth playing at this point like yeah like yes they are they have some like of the time difficulty spikes and really annoying bits but they are like you know the first one's definitely weaker than two and three but you do need that entire course to like appreciate what four tries to do in terms of storytelling Mm. and like and even um even like lost legacy which is you know kind of like a a nice little sort of palate cleanser to finish the whole thing off um sort of nice side story you kind of need that whole arc really i think starting with uncharted 4 would be weird because mm-hmm. i don't know um to make a really crude example it'd be like starting star wars at the force awakens do you know what i mean it's like mm-hmm. you kind of need to see what the rest of them are in order to get this um but, Imagine yeah. that. You get to the end of it and you're like, who's this wrinkly old fucker? <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> and now he's dead. Oh, Algin, you mean Luke Skywalker, right? I thought you meant Han Solo. But like, uh, no, I meant, uh, what's his name? Oh, yeah, well, there's loads of wrinkly old fuckers in it. I was thinking of um, the Emperor in part three. <laughs> oh, yeah, that makes more sense, yeah. Oh, God, imagine you started with The Rise of Skywalker as your first Star Wars film. How cursed would that be? You'd never watch another one, would you? Oh, amazing. You're like, I don't get the fuss. What's the fuss is about? <laughs> At push, you could probably play uh, Lost Legacy by itself because it's kind of self-contained. Like, um, yeah, yeah, it's sort of got a bit of um, baggage from four and obviously from uh, two, where Chloe's from. Um, but like in general, it's kind of standalone. You could play that if you like that. That might be a good reason to like go back and play it all yeah. from one, two, three. I, I think there's also a. This isn't to say that like they get better with each game, but. The, the leaps they make or the stuff they add, I think it would be odd to play 4 and Lost Legacy. Then when you go back to 2 and 3, I think you would feel an absence of certain things where if you play them in the right order, you will see like the layering of stuff going on there. I think that's that's definitely a factor too. There's like noticeable upgrades between the generations in terms of like you know melee combat shooting i think naughty dog become way better at shooting between ps3 and ps4 um so that's um definitely a kind of a factor there and uh yeah obviously the kind of like a lovely um sort of grapple hook um you would uh, miss out on that and um when uncharted tries to be stealthy in the ps3 games it doesn't really work that well mm. whereas 
the stealth in Uncharted Four, I would say, is not perfect, but it's like it's a it's built for that purpose. Um, yeah. So that's like a big difference. So uh, whereas in Uncharted, it's like how many necks can I snap before some dudes just start shooting at me? And um, very much so. And Four is like that too, except the spaces are bigger and the stealth is better. So yeah, the necks are four K. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Matthew, I have to ask about this film, which stars. <laughs> Tom Holland to Mark Wahlberg. I've never been served more ads on Twitter for one thing than this film. <laughs> and every time I've seen the trailer, I've just been like, this is the most Mark Wahlberg and autopilot I've ever seen. And like, Tom Holland's just doing Peter Parker again. And I didn't get the sense that anyone involved, apart from maybe the cinematographers and stunt people, cared about the games, really. And it just felt like, well, we'll just make a an action-adventure film that's got Tom Holland in it, and it'll be based on this PlayStation franchise we own. That's kind of been my cynical view from yeah. the outside looking in. How did you find the film as someone who went to watch it on purpose? <laughs> I went to watch it on purpose. I've never heard, like, a reasonably busy cinema, say half full, no reaction to any of it. Not even, like, a, a titter at a single line. <laughs> um, like, the banter in this film is so played out. Um, I think you're right. The, the, it's sort of uncharted in shape, and there's quite a few set pieces, like, lifted from the games. It's almost like someone has described Uncharted to someone who wasn't really listening, and then they've right. written a script based on that. You know, it's... There's, like, a pl- the plane sequence from Uncharted 3 is basically in there, like, wholesale. Though arguably less uh, better paced and shot than it is in the game uh, which is kind of depressing there's an auction scene which is very like the auction scene in uncharted 4 but in new york with just the two of them him and him and sully you know there are there are sort of, sort of nods to some of the puzzles in it it's yeah it, it's odd there's quite a lot of it in there but none of it feels like it did and i think the big problem is a mark Wahlberg, is, like you say is literally playing mark Wahlberg. it looks like he's just wearing what, what mark Wahlberg wore that day i mean he doesn't <laughs> have a costume it's just mark Wahlberg. you know he doesn't have the mustache but he doesn't have anything it's just it's just it doesn't change his voice he doesn't put on any kind of accent or inflection it's just Mark Wahlberg talking about treasure, which is really weird. Yeah, Tom Holland, he's not quite doing his Peter Parker stick. He's just playing, like, a 20-something-year-old dude. Right. Like, it's not even Peter... You know, Peter Parker is a nerd. This isn't anything. This is a guy who... He's a bartender. I, I guess that's his character. Like, that's his whole character, is that he occasionally uses bartending skills to fight people, like in the games. Um, right. You know, he, there's, there's so many situations in this game, in this film where there's a bar and he uses, like, spirits to fight people. It's really odd. Um, So everyone involved played the first, like, 30 minutes of Uncharted 3 and were like, okay, well, this is Nathan Drake then. This is what he does. He just goes into a pub and has a fight. There's, like, this running joke that there's this Scottish henchman that no one really understands, and he feels like a misinterpretation of the Cockney scene at the start of Uncharted 3. Right, okay. Because there is a bit of, like, culture clash stuff in that. And it feels like they're like, oh, that's a key ingredient. So we'll have this Scottish guy who, whenever he talks, Nathan Drake's like, what the fuck? I don't know what you're talking about. So, yeah, I, I think that the, the problem I have with it, and this, I don't want to get too, like, it's not enough like the games, because that's a bit nerdy, but it's it's really not enough like anything, I think, is, is the problem with this film. Yeah. Um, it's a set in a recognisable modern day, and then they kind of go on an Uncharted-y adventure. But the Uncharted games are set in a very stylized cinematic universe. 
Like yeah. they're very pulpy through and through. Like their even their house is like a cinema house. It's like an ideal kind of dreamy thing with like ancient maps on the wall. Spielbergy house. It is, it is. And this doesn't have that. This just feels like here's a load of cars, here's a load of product placement, here's just a load of stuff. It doesn't feel sculpted at all. That's really jarring. And I think the age change is like a big problem. And they would say that they can justify the character being different because he's young. But actually, you know, in the games, again, like we do see his backstory and he's this nerdy kind of boy who is interested in history. Like they're kind of ruffians and and a bit cheeky, but they, him and his brother are you know, history nerds for various reasons. And it is that kind of slight Indiana Jones-ish element to it where there's like an academic edge to it. He takes it quite seriously and he is a bit older, so he's amassed this knowledge. He's quite sort of in love with the, you know, he's a thief, but he's also sort of in love with this world of history. And here it's just some sort of slightly incredulous dude who's just like, oh shit, what's going on? You know, he's not, you know, he has he has some of the knowledge, but... They've they've lost any kind of like wonder to the character. He's yeah. just he's just sarcastic, snarky, like nobody who gets pulled into an av- adventure by accident and is there with Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> <laughs> like that is literally the plot. It's very very odd. The one thing I will say for it is the very last set piece feels like something ridiculous that Uncharted would do in a game that, and hasn't done. Right. Okay. Interesting. Um, um, it is. It is in a trailer. There's a sort of. I won't spoil it completely, but there's like a, a sort of an aerial fight uh, with quite unusual dimensions to it. And I was like, you know what? I could actually, I could see myself playing that. I could see Naughty Dog doing doing that quite well. And maybe that's the only point where you're no longer comparing it to the games because it's doing something like original. Here's the mad thing: it doesn't play the theme tune. Like, ever. All right. Apart from when there's a Nolan North cameo. Oh, right, okay. Right, that's really cheesy. And it plays like a comedy version of it. To, as if right. to say, like, wah, 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 here he is. <laughs> <laughs> like, he turns up and it literally plays this, like, dumb, like, sort of, uh, like, ukulele rendition of it. <laughs> oh, God. That's so And hack. he's, like, on the beach and he sort of, they sort of go, oh, we've just fallen out of a plane. He goes... I did that once. Oh, you're kidding me. <laughs> really? Oh. Oh. Sorry, that feels like a, that does feel like a spoiler. Apologies for people who are planning to go and see the uh, incredibly mediocre Uncharted. Is there anything like, do they steal any like lines wholesale from the games? Like, is there a Not- pit where Chloe goes to Drake, you're going to miss this ass? Or does it like, um, <laughs> just all seem, is it all a bit like it's got its own not particularly distinctive jokey tone it doesn't lift lines yeah. directly from the games he says oh crap a lot right okay yeah i mean that is something he says again it's like someone went oh this character is famous for saying oh crap a lot yeah. when he falls off stuff if i was the script writers of the uncharted games and i went to see this at the cinema i'd be like i'd be over the moon at like how i'd feel so talented compared to this i'd be like man we really made those characters sing because in my head i thought oh this would actually be quite easy to lift wholesale into a film because the whole thing with uncharted famously it starts with them looking at movies and trying to like boil them down into this list of like mega tropes for action adventures that they want their game to be and you know you think well if this thing is this condensed version of a film it should be pretty easy to lift that wholesale and make a reasonable addition to that genre <laughs> yeah it's funny though because i remember when when on 
the Uncharted games were coming out and I was working in the Imagine office, someone said to me, oh, well, if the if the Uncharted games were a film, they'd just be like a two or three star action film. And I was there going, I don't know. I mean, it, I think you're overestimating like what Hollywood's capable of making these days. Like the Hollywood to make a very personality driven um self-aware but not like really kind of like winking at the audience kind of like uh, approach to a action adventure film what it actually looks like is this film or fool's gold with matthew mcconaughey and kate hudson like you don't get <laughs> hollywood doesn't make films I quite like that fool's gold. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear compared to this yeah i mean you know but do you know what i mean like it's like hollywood doesn't feel like it has an angle when it makes this stuff yeah. anymore um, Actually, so, yeah. I want to take that back. I was thinking of Sahara. I thought that was all right. How are you getting your McConaughey, like mid noughties sort of like <laughs> yeah. uh, fun films mixed up? <laughs> yeah. Full Skull literally has a sequence in it that I think was lifted from Uncharted, where Tony McConaughey's character is crashing an airplane, and Kate Hudson sat next to him, and he uh, and she goes, "Where did you learn to fly?" And he goes, "PlayStation." And I just thought, "Oh God, this is like you know, <laughs> do, did did a, did a man who said that in a film once deserve a career in Asons Matthew?" Is that's my question to you. <laughs> Um, but anyway, yes. So the Uncharted film, what, what, what would you give it out of uh, five Nathan Drakes, Matthew? I wouldn't say it's a one star. Like one star films are quite few and far between. So it's probably it's probably like a two. Okay, well there you go. But I think that's I think that's damning enough. In terms of um, uh, Nolan North cameos, how does this compare to his Star Trek Into Darkness cameo, Matthew? Um, would you? How would you? Rank I don't it even to? remember that. <laughs> yeah, he's on the ship that um, uh, Peter Weller's character. Um, like you know how there's that giant black version of the Enterprise chasing them through hyperspace. Good film, oh, that. Yeah. I quite like it. Underrated, but anyway, um, there's um, on in that crew. <laughs> Nola North is a member of that crew because JJ Abrams is a big fan of the games and played them with his oh, son or really? something. So uh, there you go. You just learned something. But um, well, I, I'm afraid I can't compare those cameos. But this one was um, reasonably honking it would be much funnier if she's sort of sitting on a beach lounger it would be much funnier if like all four of like the voice leads were on those beach loungers <laughs> and yeah. it's like the whole cast all talking in their voices then i would have been like you know that's so overkill i can kind of respect it this one i felt it, this one actually just made me feel a bit sad for for like the others <laughs> poor yeah. old sully Yes, good. Well, there you go. That's um, that's now available in cinemas, so a uh, nice little <laughs> film review for you there. Um, in a wider sense, Matthew, do you find it weird how there is suddenly this spate of like Hollywood interest in making films? So as we're talking about this, uh, a Bioshock film has just been optioned by Netflix, so I assume it will be like a, a sort of a, a two-star film that's got a guy from like High School Musical in it or something. But like, um, yeah, it'll have Ryan Reynolds in it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ryan Reynolds uh, and B- the Big Daddy played by The Rock. <laughs> you kindly put me out of my misery <laughs> why do you think there is a sudden interest in making games related movies because you've had like Mortal Kombat and Uncharted's done okay but you haven't seen like you know a Spider-Man in 2002 equivalent to to that in um in sort of like games to to movies so why do you think that is happening now is it just that all IP has been eaten by other <laughs> things so now people are just like turning to what's available is it just like they're so risk averse because of the success of well not just the success the total dominance of Marvel and the lesson they've taken from that is it has to be something that exists it has to be something known that argument gets flimsier for me when obscure Marvel stuff starts doing well because really like you know Shang Chi doesn't have any more recognition you know it's not it's no more recognizable than many 
mid-tier video games, I would say. Like, so, I, I don't know, it's pretty just like an aftershock of that. Yeah, I could, I, I could see that. But like, um, it's just kind of strange to see a few of these doing the rounds. Like, I know that, um, I don't know, the, the kind of like the, the more promising one is the Fallout TV show that stars Walton Goggins from... Um, uh, from uh, Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy um, for Amazon. That could be okay. I think that's trying to film later this year. Uh, the Last of Us, I guess, as well, actually has direct Naughty Dog involvement, the TV show from HBO, and it's written by Craig Mazin, the um, Chernobyl um, uh, sort of mm. uh, screenwriter and um, guy who makes a podcast I can never listen to for more than five minutes. Um, <laughs> you know. But I wish him the best, you know, I wish him the best. <laughs> I'm sure he, he doesn't need it. <laughs> That's just because I refuse to learn, basically, on anyone else's time. But um, enough of that. <laughs> Matthew, shall we take a quick break there, come back and talk about some more retro-y Uncharted stuff, get a bit deeper into the series? Yeah, let's do it. I think I'm a bit all over the place in this one. How do you think it's That's going? That's because my plan's shit, Sam. <laughs> No, I don't think so. I think I just I swerved a bit between things there. My plan is, is it's very much the Nathan Drake of episode plans. It's right. like, we're sort of going in this direction, but I'll wing it. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what What distinguishes section one from section two here? And I couldn't there is really... nothing. Nothing. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you what distinguishes it. It's because I wrote section two. <laughs> Can you please keep this in the podcast so people know the behind the scenes? Um... Welcome back to the podcast. So, in um, Matthew's carefully assembled uh, Uncharted <laughs> episode, we've come to a bunch of vaguely themed retro stuff about the Uncharted series. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh dear. Um, no, it's going to be good. There's some good stuff here to, to get into. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Matthew, first up here, we've got um, a discussion about our first un- encounters with Uncharted. Should I go first here? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I first I first played Uncharted when Sony brought a build to the office. Um, this must have been in like mid-2007. Um, this was the same time they brought a, a build for Lair, where I literally couldn't control the dragon. Um, and the PR <laughs> had to take it off my hands and show me how to do it, because I literally just couldn't do it. Which did um, you play first in the demo? Uh, I think I played Uncharted, and I was terrible at it. And I'll tell you why, right? Because I had not, I had not played Gears of War at that point. Right. I'd only ever played third-person shooters where you were aiming and shooting at the same time all the time, rather than like you have to get in cover and press a button to aim and then shoot. And so I was just dying constantly. I, did, I couldn't work out at all. And then I remember John Denton, who was in the room at the time, um, shouted at someone who was playing the game, went, it's, ju- it's, like, it's just like Gears, Tom, and then started like shooting. And so... That's the interesting thing, right? Is that there's like a year between Gears of War and Uncharted. But you sense if Gears of War hadn't happened, Uncharted would be a very different game because they, like everyone else, saw that they'd solved what third person shooting is like. So mm. I must admit, I played it and I remember like the opening cutscene where Drake in the plane crashes and um, he goes, Oh, anti aircraft fire, this is so not cool. That's the start of Uncharted. And then like. Um, it kind of goes from there. And I remember thinking, oh, it's kind of kind of fun. It looked, looked really nice. Um, then it sort of like fell off my radar until deep into the year when a succession of PS3 exclusives had kind of like disappointed people, including Lair and Heavenly Sword. And this came along after those and was sort of like the 
the one shining beacon for the PS3 in quite a rough year. This was a year, of course, where Xbox had Halo 3, Mass Effect, um, a working version of the Orange Box, and, um, you know, like a crackdown, many other delights. So the PS3 was like firmly behind at this point. And Uncharted was like, well, here's a cool thing that we have that no one else has on their platforms. So being on a PlayStation magazine at the time, that seems significant. So that's my first encounter, Matthew. Mm. How about yours? In this period, I shared a flat with uh, Leon, who was uh, on official PlayStation magazine. And so I, I only sort of heard about it through him. You know, he was, you know, we'd occasionally talk about the, the fortunes of our various platforms uh, in the flat, because that's what two games journalists do when they live together. And I remember him saying, like, oh, we've got the, you know, we've got this one thing which is going to be really, really good. And he was completely like seeing its praises and blown away with it. It, kept, I mean, it was from him that I heard about all the kind of how impressive the the wet clothes were. <laughs> he kept talking about that, like <laughs> his shirt gets really wet and sticks to him and his trousers look really sort of squidgy and all this kind of <laughs> stuff. And I remember thinking, oh yeah, that does sound pretty next gen. So for ages, this was just the game which had like amazing wet clothes, um, which, you know, I guess is impressive. I didn't actually play in Uncharted until Uncharted 2 because I got Uncharted 2 with my PlayStation 3 for Christmas. Uh, it was a PlayStation 3 Slim, I think, at that point, although the, the mm. revamped one that was like matte, not shiny. I think that was the last console I ever got for Christmas. So that was like mega exciting. I felt very embarrassed getting excited about such a thing in, into my 20s. I'd seen that E3 demo that everyone saw and was sort of so sort of blown away by it all that I, I then kind of cut it out of my life. So when they had it in the office and were playing it for review or whatever, I just, ignored, I just didn't want to see it. You know, I wouldn't go in the games cage if someone was playing it in there and, you know, just trying to avoid all the massive TVs on edge and everything. I was willing it to be good. I was sort of willing myself to like it and then it, it delivered and I was off to the races. But I did go back and play one. I only ever played it all the way through on the remastered thing because I did get it on PlayStation 3, but I remember falling out with it because it's reasonably tough going to it after you've played two. Yeah, I think that's probably fair, yeah much more of like a straight cover like arena shooter i think that feels like a lot more obvious back there and you know even like watching some videos the last couple of days just reminding myself of some odd bits and bobs like i was amazed at how many of the clips were you sort of go into a space with lots of waist high cover and off it goes you know the the the, you know the, the formula of the game maybe hasn't changed but the 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 craft or the art that I think Naughty Dog have mastered is disguising that it is just a cover-based arena shooter, like with cool bits in between. But that first game, it's 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 quite raw. You know, it's it's sort of there. Everything's on show. The other thing to kind of remember about this time too is that like Uncharted did steal a bit of Tomb Raider's thunder. Like that mm. did just happen because you had this game come out in two thousand seven. You had Underworld in 2008 that kind of underperformed, and then they basically rebooted it from there. And um, it didn't be- underperform in me. Well, no, exactly. It's actually like I think it's got quite a good reputation over time that game. Um, but like you know, when Unch- when sorry when Tomb Raider comes back in 2013, which is a, a long old wait, it looks a, it looks and feels a lot more like Uncharted. So mm. it definitely kind of like yeah it takes the whole kind of like 
going into like lost temples, doing a bit a mix of puzzles and combat, way more combat in Uncharted, of course. But Uncharted mm. has, has some good puzzles, even in the first one. Mm. Um, and then like then the kind of like the scales are shifted, so Tomb Raider can no longer really do things on its own terms anymore and has to follow Uncharted, which mm. I feel, feel kind of bad for it because I think there's sort of there's definitely like there should have been room for both approaches, really. But yeah, yeah, more wounds in Tomb Raider. <laughs> a lot more wounds. Yeah. Like Nathan Drake doesn't get like rebars through his thighs and things. No, no. But like it's true that like all the, even in the first one, a lot of the best bits in it are like um the set PC bits. Like people remember the submarine, for example. Um, you know, or they remember like I don't know, running through like a kind of underground temple and then like bits of it collapsing as they go and stuff like that. And then mm. two becomes like, how can we scale this up? to be just so elaborate and so cinematic with no kind of shortcuts because if there's one thing you notice playing the original uncharted is that you really feel like you say see the same combinations of environments again and again it's like it's like jungle or stone and like (laughs) maybe some like watery bits in between but not not loads of variety there and i know that a lot of people consider that first one quite a tough a tough hang these days um like when my partner played the collection for the first time she did not like the first uncharted at all um, I think she like finished it, but just resented finishing it. And it does end with a really bad boss fight as well, which um, they would do again. But the first one has a particularly <laughs> awful boss fight. So, a bit of context here, Matthew. I did listen to AIAS's um, interview uh, episode with that Ted Price of Insomniac did with uh, Evan Wells, who runs Naughty Dog, last year. I think it was last April. Really, mm. really good. And like. This um, the Uncharted series marks an interesting turning point at Naughty Dog because they stop making the Jack and Daxter games as the PlayStation Three comes along, and it also marks the um, the departure of uh, of their founders uh, Andy Gavin and Jason Rubin. Yeah, so they move on. They decide to leave the company. It basically changes hands to Evan Wells, who was like a senior developer, and then like then they're kind of like wrestling with the PS3 hardware and making that first Uncharted is like. A hellish experience it sounds like just a, a real like proper like i think he kind of like when you when you hear evan wells talk about it he sounds like it's the closest they've ever come to like total failure and they just managed oh, to wow. kind of salvage it yeah yeah because they've made all these jack games on the trot and they're all you know they're all very acclaimed and successful uh yeah i don't know about jack x combat racing personally but you know they um <laughs> they certainly um they certainly had an audience and then yeah they just struggled out of the gate with this one and it did because it did require a, you know a different skill set essentially and so yeah i really recommend listening to that because you know there is this interesting thing where it's like the torch gets passed on but then the kind of crushing weight of it as sony's debuting this kind of like quite tricky to develop for hardware is um is kind of tough and then from there they kind of acclimatize and you know um uncharted 2 and 3 still really like quite tough tough development both made in two years which seems preposterously quick these days yeah uh but yeah like um that was kind of the the origins of uncharted they they just were like it was just really like born in like hellish fire essentially they just (laughs) it was it was like real kind of like really really tough for them to bring to life so it's um it's interesting that that's where it starts because it does it does mark a a bit of a change in how like games changed generally around that time where you did go from having like platformer icons kind of like die out as a thing and these more like human looking protagonists kind of take over and and they they became like the more dominant in games probably as a result of gta and stuff like that 
But um, I don't know if you had any thoughts on that, Matthew. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking, is Nathan Drake actually the last legit mascot that was like introduced and stuck? It depends how you define mascot, because people would say that Aloy is a mascot, for example, you know? Yeah, I don't really trust people who rate Aloy. <laughs> <laughs> How did this turn into you dissing Horizon? Like, how is that even it's, possible? It's, she's the she's the worst bit of it. Like, <laughs> she's she's just like a jumble of armor, massive hair, and a few eye rolls. Like, there's really not a lot a lot going on there. Like, she actively puts me off the game. But anyway, I don't want to turn this into an Aloy dunking session. Well, Aloy you know. aside, Nathan Drake is like instantly taken to taken to heart. Though it feels like he's. He's sort of up there. I know. I think The Last of Us is just too grim for any of the characters to be considered mascots. Like, you don't want, like, a damaged girl to be the face of your console because that bums everyone out. Yeah, I think, like, uh, one of the fair criticisms I saw levelled at games around this time was that there were too many boring sort of bold protagonists. And, like, yeah. you'd see those images that, like, oh, can you tell all these protagonists apart? And it'd be, like, the guy from Resistance, the guy from The Force Unleashed and all this stuff. <laughs> and, like... Sometimes I would see Nathan Drake in there and I'd be like, nah, like this, there is like so much effort gone into like bringing this guy to life. And like, yeah, he's a bit schlubby. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he is, yeah. I mean, he's a yeah. better shape than us, but yeah. You know. um, <laughs> more like that horrible fat Drake cheat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll tell hot... you what, they would never put that in a game now. That <laughs> <laughs> won't be considered like body shaming or something. Well, yeah, for sure. That is so not modern day. Like, Look, it's funny because he's, he's grotesquely fat. It would <laughs> like either it's, be... <laughs> yeah, it's, but it's, it's very of its time. They could try and sell it as like representation of different body shapes. Oh, you know? no way. <laughs> <laughs> it's preposterous. It's like, look at that guy go. Like, it's clearly a joke. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, that's... Um, but yeah, he, it was very distinctive. I mean, to just like give a bit of uh, kind of context here for when things aren't quite right like um i played uncharted golden abyss for this episode as mentioned it's the first time i've played it for as much as i've played it like i played three hours of it apparently a 10 hour game which is i like, played I'm, it all the way through it's like very repetitive isn't it it's yeah yeah it's like it, it it feels like it's built on the bones of the original uncharted but i feel like mishandles drake even though it has all the constituent parts it has like motion capture it has like nolan north voicing the character but it feels like a facsimile and the dialogue's quite cringe. And it sort of mm. shows, I think, that you are only ever a few steps from getting it wrong. And that's why it may, it makes you kind of appreciate the um, how the Naughty Dog ones that were actually done. Is that how you felt playing that one too? It goes back to this thing, and I've definitely heard Amy Hennig say this in an interview about this sort of, her sort of process of basically strip mining every bit of source material for like their core ingredients so she just had this like mass of tropes of like this is in here are the building bricks of what we want and from that you think well that's that just sounds like a very reductive process like boiling down something till you get an end result and it's like here's the game comes out the other end but actually yes things like the film and seeing another team handle it it is off definitely the tone i think some of it's about the characters he gets partnered up with are not quite right and that kind of taints it all that sets it all off because so much of these games is about being with another character and banter and that's like a key part of their dna it's really there's a, a really great talk i'll probably mention it in a bit in when we talk about something else um 
where one of the current writers there, Josh Sher, talks about like in the partners are so key that when they take them away, it tends to be at a point where you've like massively messed up in the game. Like in, in terms of narratively, it's where the characters are, they're like lowest ebb. And mm. it's not like a punishment as such, but like their natural state of being is with, uh, with a person. Which is quite, I think, quite true of like what's good about this character is actually what most of the stuff you remember fondly is him bouncing off other people. When he's alone, you get basically the birth of the inner monologue, which now drives everyone up the wall. The, right, what are we doing? Oh, great. Oh, fuck, I've really fucked this up. <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Um, obviously better written than that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, not necessarily in Golden Abyss, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. There's definitely, there's definitely something in that. Like the energy changes when you have this guy. He's a bit like Joe Pesci-ish, who you start off with, and then he's kind of like he betrays you, and then there's this woman there, and I don't know. You kind of wonder, like, uh, I don't know. It just sort of they feel off-brand. They're like kind of like little versions of um, <laughs> of different like Uncharted archetypes and like action movie archetypes, I guess. But it was kind of the repetition that killed me a little bit, and the touchscreen puzzles. Oh, as well. this game had real like launch day sort of syndrome where they're like use every feature imaginable, even if it's preposterous. So like, every tutorial that comes up says you can press the X button, which is the jump button. Or you can, like, tilt the console on its side and swipe across the screen to tell him to jump backwards. You're like, why would I ever do that? Why would I opt to, like, twist my hands around, take my hands off the buttons? Very unnecessary. There's charcoal rubbings. Oh, yeah, Um, uh, just turning (laughs) turning fucking antiques around to find shit on them. That's in there. (laughs) Yeah, good. Very much the, um, uh, what was it called? The DS launch game, Project Rub. Um, like the <laughs> DS mini game compilation from Sega. This is the project rub of Uncharted games. <laughs> it's. I'm surprised there isn't a blow into the mic to like remove dust from a parchment. <laughs> like we're yeah. in we're in that kind of territory. Yeah, very much so. It's like the very over designed PSV to its two touch screens and you know <laughs> and like it's. It's like it's definitely imperfect. You can see why it hasn't been salvaged for like a, a HD collection or anything. Like it was, yeah. they obviously thought, well, it's too tied to this console. If you took it off the PS Vita, it would make no sense as a game, which is true. And like, if you get a PS Vita, it's worth having just to like, if you can get it cheap, it's worth having just to kind of like see what that console could do at full power because it was mm. an impressive console for its time for sure. And like, was like a, a sort of a more elaborate version of a. Uh, more elaborate translation of a home console type game than the PSP was capable of when they were doing mm. stuff like Resistance or Daxter. Although, as we said before, the God of War games on PSP were excellent. But yeah. um, yes, it's going to um, be. Uh, we'll change our tune when we're doing the Vita draft. <laughs> I imagine one <laughs> second of us is for some for some category. This will be the best one. <laughs> this will be like second or third pick, and then we'll be like, "Well, you know what I said five episodes ago? Well, uh, I no longer believe it miraculously." Um, <laughs> Oh shit! We didn't, even, we didn't even talk about the draft, Matthew. You kicked my ass in the Game Pass competitor draft. That's uh, that's basically the headline on that one, isn't it? That's yeah, it. I mean it's a deep curse, not cursed. Um, it was a wonky draft. I think you know. I promised to post myself to people, and people kind of voted for me because they found that endearing. I am surprised there wasn't more like outpouring of love for the PS2 library. Yeah, I thought if anything was going to win it, it would be that. Yeah, I was sort of like, I think you're right because before I posted like the what we picked you were up like 75 percent to 25 (laughs) percent and then i clawed back like eight percent of the vote by posting the image without the context of you being posted to different people around the world (laughs) 
and like you can't underestimate what a pull that was. Um, pretty pretty extraordinary stuff. So absolutely yeah. appalling tactics. Um, I, <laughs> it was I a fun felt, one though. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun, but um, it was very yeah. flawed. The next couple of drafts will be will have a bit more logic to them, I would say. So, uh, <laughs> but we'll stay tuned for those. But um, back to Uncharted then, Matthew. One of the questions you've put in your little plan here is, uh, are these good games beyond the incredible polish and cinematic highs? That's an interesting subject because I think people can be a little bit snooty about how Uncharted or Naughty Dog do things generally. So um, what's your take on this? Underneath it all, it's a very basic platformer. It's quite a basic puzzle game and it's only merely good shooter. Uncharted 4 and, and Lost Legacy, I think, are definitely a step up, but... I think around that, even if, if even if that is true, even if the core of these games is is a little bit kind of basic, the craftsmanship around that is so amazing that actually I don't think it matters. I think the polish and cinematic highs are incredibly hard to do. I mean, but you know, either of those things, you know, the art design and the world design in these games is some of my favourite. I think when it comes to like environmental location art. It's between like IO in Hitman and Naughty Dog for me in terms of like the the best that those two are the best. Like I just love the cinematic version of the world they live in and work in. It's also why I prefer Uncharted to The Last of Us. It's fun. It's like a fun cinematic world that I like being in. And cinematically, I think the a like the wit of the actual pacing. Like if you were to watch these set pieces in a film, you'd you'd admire some of them for like their ingenuity. But also just the technical impossibility of some of them. You are like, how the hell are they doing this? Like it, it's part of the fun of these games. A huge part of the appeal for me anyway is like being almost like bamboozled by the by the tech of it and just their command of like virtual space is sort of unbelievably cool. Yeah. I think what I find really interesting about your question is, are these good games beyond the incredible polish and cinematic highs? And like that sort of suggests that cinematic highs aren't game design, and they are. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and like I, I, by I think that you've identified something there that people do make a distinction between you know something like this and something like let's say uh, Sifu that just came out that's so mechanics driven yeah. and like. You know, one will be quote unquote sort of like more hardcore or considered more legitimate than the other. But you know, there is, like you say, an incredible amount of craft to making a great cinematic set piece, and so you have to consider that part of the package of what Uncharted does. Like, is it a best in class shooter? No, it's a perfectly good shooter, and um, particularly the fourth one. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it a great? Is it a great platformer? No, I would say it's average. It's very, like, plays itself, essentially, and, like, isn't particularly hard to play. But those are also two small parts of the whole package of what it does. A lot of the games you might compare them to, one of those things might be the only thing those games do, whereas Uncharted, it's like a whole mix of stuff, and Mm. the cinematic approach kind of underpins everything and requires such, like, a level of effort to bring to life and do well that I don't think it matters that they're not necessarily best in class at their quote-unquote traditional genres do you know what i mean um, yeah i think that's yeah. fair um yeah i hope this question hasn't exposed me as a bit of a philistine in terms <laughs> of like you know it's cinematic it's a, I, yeah it is it is design if anything it's sort of i like it because it's design that really draws attention to itself where it does make you think oh how have they done this or how have they set this up how do they make this work and where i see people bouncing off uncharted the most is where they feel like they zig where the game wants them to zag and then the the whole limitations of the thing are exposed 
this would be amazing if you do exactly what we tell you to do. This is going to look amazing. And if you step outside the lines, you know, if you do what, you know, what, you know, if the, I, I'm pretty sure I've even read this in one of the Eurogamer reviews. They've referred to like, you stop listening to the director kind of barking actions and the kind of, it sort of falls to shit. Um, they obviously phrased it better than that because it's, you know, Eurogamer is a bit classier. Um, <laughs> uh, but, uh, and that that's kind of true, but I almost see it as their ambitions within like the linear space, I think are so, they're to me so exciting and so sort of peerless that I really, really admire the, the sort of the high wire act. Yeah. I don't, th- yeah, I don't think it matters all that much. Like, if you want a game that kind of responds when you want to do something else, then go play a game that does that. Do you know what I mean? Because, mm. you know, there are plenty of games that are open world games that where moving outside the boundaries doesn't give you a more satisfying experience. It's not like we're kind of like living in an age of, you know, an unbelievable amount of systemic games. Even yeah. something like Hitman has mission stories which require a linear set of actions to perform inside this immense sandbox. You can do a bunch of other stuff. But, you know, they're still not afraid to be linear and cinematic when they think that the player might be excited by it. So, mm. yeah, I think that's that's like, you know, worth kind of like appreciating as a, an art form in itself. But that does lead us to an interesting question, Matthew, which is where do we stand on the eternal debate of prescribed cinematic thrills versus more player agency? Um, I, I have a thought, a kind of like starting thought on this. Mm. I think there's, like I say, a real art to doing cinematic thrills well. What I will say is, I do think there is a ceiling to it in terms of like, I suppose, like mechanical satisfaction you give the player. That part of the brain that it kind of like, it it tickles, I guess. It can only go so far. Like even when I was playing, after I played Uncharted 3 and I found out they were were making an Uncharted 4, I thought, what else could they do with this? Mm. And the answer was, they do give you a little bit more player agency. You go into these like combat sandboxes, essentially, and they're very light sandboxes, but they had a proper stealth system. And like you can do the whole thing in stealth. And if you get caught, it turns into a firefight. And you have this tool, the grappling hook, which allows you to navigate the world in a slightly different way. And that is um, adding just a little bit of systemic something to kind Mm. of like uh, to give you a slightly different flavor. Um, Very, very simple. You can't even hide bodies in like long grass or anything like that. Mm. But it's just a little something. So Mm. where do you stand on this, Matthew? I did wonder in Uncharted 4 whether after making The Last of Us they were there was like almost some slight embarrassment about the pure like cinematic excess that they were doing in 1 to 3 and that's why it changes like 4 it, you know it's still crazy in places but it's sort of largely a more muted game I would say in terms of those big mad set pieces like it it doesn't try and do one every level which 3 arguably does like 3 is so hectic in its flow of incredible set pieces that I always forget half of them. And when I replay it, I'm like, oh God, I completely, how did I forget this? It's just because it's, it's just peak, 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 peak. And your brain can't like hold on to that like variety, I don't think. It's a bit like you with Mario, where your brain <laughs> can't deal with him. Um, oh like- dear. I can't believe I'm still taking L's for that one. That's like, uh, <laughs> how are we still at uh, that point? But yes, yeah, so, uh, you know, I, I, I wonder if, if it's like a thing coming from that studio shift. Out goes the original Uncharted team or some key members of the Uncharted team after three. And then you get this slightly different era where they are thinking more about deepening the whole thing. Yeah, there's like more room to breathe between the set pieces and four is what I'd say. Like... And you get bits of that in two and three, 
particularly three, I think, experiments of this a bit more when you're in the desert. But generally, like, it's this one, you know, the fourth one's very much like a reckoning with, like, can you keep living this life forever? And what does it mean to live this life forever? And um, so you get more kind of, like, bits to breathe in between that. It has, like, like you say, the kind of mini sandboxes slow the game right down. So there are whole bits where there are no, like, off-the-wall set pieces happening. Um, mm. But I think that it's it's true that there's, there probably was just a limit to how much you can do the thrill ride thing without it being repetitive. So finding other ways to present that makes sense. I would say that, like, The Last of Us was only semi-successful. It Personally, I thought it was, the first one was only semi-successful in doing anything slightly sandboxy there was still a lot of times where i thought well i'm better off just like trying to catch three of these things in like one bomb uh, rather than trying to like stealth it or whatever right because right. insta kill stealth sections i then thought that the last of us 2 was better at this because it was a game built to like when you get caught it's like a scrappy fight to get out of it and that is the whole game whereas i mm. thought it was better calibrated for that than the first one was and yeah so the the uncharted's on ps4 kind of like take uh, take some lessons in terms of maybe like the depth of storytelling but like yeah probably just some lessons in like having a slightly broader combat experience too is is an interesting point that you've put in your your plan matthew um do we want to talk about ludo narrative dissonance this was a series <laughs> i first saw that stuff bubble up nice guy drake versus mass murderer those are your words there um yeah. so but stop revealing how how fucking bad my plan is <laughs> well it's tough because i'm reading this as if i wrote it but i didn't and so i'm I, that's hurting my brain a little bit uh, first of all <laughs> it's hurting your brand that's just, uh, <laughs> um okay so why don't you talk a bit about this every once in a while there's like a concern or a major criticism that can be applied to many things and it becomes lodged on one thing. This I this ludonarrative dissonance, I don't know where it was coined, but it was always seemed to come up with Uncharted, where it's like the, the guy in the cutscenes, fun boy Drake, he kills so many people, and people found those two things kind of difficult um difficult to balance. I was trying to think about why this seems to come up more here than say with like Indiana Jones. And like Indiana Jones has like a load of attached stuff that people have issue with, and I, you know, that that's a, a completely separate conversation. But this thing of like, what you know, why do we like Indiana Jones, even though he does kill loads of people? You do wonder if it's just as basic and as crude as he's killing like Nazis, who are like the classic historical villains. Here, that everything's a bit generic. I think Uncharted's got a bit of a general enemy problem, and I'm not saying like if they magic up the right enemy, you'd be fine with all the killing. But I think the right enemy can help. I think there is there is a the reason you feel it slightly more say here and in the Tomb Raider games is that it's just sort of hired mercenaries. It's just sort of you know everyday sort of blokes and so maybe it feels a little more jarring because of that maybe that's why it comes up i I sort of struggle to fully grasp why it comes up because it's not something i particularly feel you know when i play these games i'm not like oh god i'm just like ha 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 this is awesome (laughs) i'm blowing people up with like you know explosive barrels and they're going flying off cliffs and i just jumped off a mountain and punched a guy in the head and all that kind of stuff also the combat in uncharted so frustrating that it's I, I, i'm not sitting there thinking guilt 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 i'm sitting there going god i hope this is over soon i've got bigger fish to fry um <laughs> than morals um <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think that's fair about the enemy sort of situation i feel like there's a tiny bit of this being addressed in four with like 
the is it the Nadine character? Yeah. She's in charge of the mercenaries, right? And she talks about them being like sort of brothers in arms and stuff. And then in Lost Legacy, she's kind of lost them all. So she's dealing with that. And then like that's kind of tied to her being. But in cutscenes, they're always just like props in the background, basically. When like the main characters are talking, they just sort of stand there. And then they might point a gun or something. And it's true, yeah, they're just quite anonymized. So it's a bit bit strange, I suppose. I just don't think you can do this tropey adventure without that stuff, though. You know, I, I think the game... Not unless you have natural Nazis in them. Yeah. yeah. I'm surprised they never went down that route of, like, there was a secret Nazi sect. Well, you do have to kill zombie Nazis in the... in um. It's a zombie Nazis. Oh, I know, yeah. they, killed the, they killed the Nazis, the zombies that were there, if I recall correctly. Um, oh, it was nonsense. Isn't that like some... Whenever it goes supernatural, don't they always try and explain it away with, like, real... You know, so they're not actually zombies. They were just, like, infected by some gas, and they killed everyone. They just look like zombies. Or are they actually zombies? I can't remember. Uh, I don't remember either. But, like, um, I just, you know, there's there's obviously the thing with the Yeti in uh, 2 that turns out to not be a Yeti as well, and that's kind of, like, bizarre. Yeah, too. and the genie in 3 isn't a genie. Yeah. It's just a big pot. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. That's three games <laughs> spoiled. A big pot full of gas. <laughs> three games spoiled in like t- twenty seconds. There. Oh come on! If you haven't played these games, well, we did do that section at the start, I guess. Yeah. Well, you know. No, nah, it's fine. Yeah, it's yeah. fine. But yeah, it's like you'll you'll have fun finding out how it's a pot of gas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So well, specifically with Lynn narrative distance, it was one of those things that like. So it's Clint Hocking who coined it, and I right. I felt like. This might sound really cynical, but when I was in games media at the time, I felt like it was people trying to tell me how smart they were by using their phrase and like how yeah. how above it they were a little bit. And it's like, well, you know, it's like it's a it's a fine criticism to level at a game, but like if it comes up over and over again, what is the value of saying it? We all know this is part of the the mix or whatever. I don't know if it ever yielded much in the way of critical value or interesting thought and so yeah there, there are exceptions to that i think that spec ops the line a game we'll talk about i'm sure in a future episode is a game that works because it kind of subverts the type of thing uncharted is trying to do right down to having nolan north play the main character and that's where like it kind of it plays with that idea quite smartly but i think just using lunar narrative distance as a stick to beat uncharted with i just never had much time for it i guess is where i stand with it matthew yeah I, I, no I'm, I'm in agreement i i only put it in the plan uh got very defensive about this plan <laughs> so <laughs> i only put it in the plan because it was talked about so much that it is genuinely lodged in my brain as like part of the uncharted thing yeah when I think Uncharted, it's not what I first think. You know, I think of, you know, exciting level on a train or a particular bit of music or how nice the water looks in Uncharted 4. But when we get down to, like, point 10, we're probably into lunar narrative distance territory. <laughs> um, and, yeah, you're right. It's just because it sounds a bit wanky. If people had called it, like, not-so-Mr-Nice-Guy or something, <laughs> <laughs> no one would be talking about it because it'd be stupid. Well, I think, yeah, I think, like... Um... You've made, you've maybe dumbed it down too much there, but like that's uh, I do like the effort that was uh, vi- valuable valuable effort. I'm trying to make my point seem more valid by really undermining it. Um, <laughs> no, that's fine. it's not quite working. They should have done. Um, if I was Naughty Dog and I saw that discourse, I would have added a cheat mode because they liked adding cheat modes like Fat Drake. I would have done Apologetic Drake, <laughs> where every time he killed someone, he goes, "Sorry, sorry, pal." Oh no! Oh no! Oh, oh my bad. <laughs> One of the best solutions I saw to this was when um, Watch Dogs Two added that like um, non-lethal gun, and so 
your main character, it did seem very strange in that game when this quite nice normal dude who could just hack stuff got out like a machine gun and just started shooting people. And it was a bit like, I'm not sure about this tonally. So they were like, we'll patch in a, a non-lethal gun, which I thought was a good idea, you know. But wasn't his option of like non-lethal takedown, like one is like he stabs you and the other one is he just hits you over the head with like a pool ball in his sock, <laughs> which I still would be pretty non about. <laughs> I think I think he has like a taser gun or something like that, like a, a ranged weapon. Right. But I think he might be right about the the <laughs> snooker balls in a sock thing. Um, but, like yeah. that would, uh, like that's never, like if that's the gentle option, I think you've you've still got to take quite a long, hard look at yourself. <laughs> I wouldn't consider a knife to be non-lethal, I'll be honest. But um, yeah, to each their own, I suppose. Um, Matthew, uh, w- one more point from this I'll talk about before we um, get to our rankings is what would we like to see from the series in future, if anything? So I'll start off here by saying that like, Again, after three, I couldn't really work out what they could do with four that would be new or interesting. And the action stealth hybrid is is good to sustain that game. But I don't know if another game could be built with the same formula that you see in Lost Legacy and four. Like, I think that might have run its course and didn't have loads of mileage in it anyway. And I think that if they brought Uncharted back, I don't think you could do it with Drake because Drake's story is very much over. If they did it as a Chloe game, I think that'd be cool. I like Chloe a lot. Um... But I do think they probably have to fundamentally change what Uncharted is or broaden its scope or make it something different again. Um, maybe go, I don't know, more, lean more into the open world um, sort of like element that they had in Lost Legacy. What's your sort of take on the whole thing? From a purely sort of selfish point of view, like like I said, this this is one of the two teams that are, I think, the, you know, the best at this kind of world design. I would be sad if Naughty Dog's art wizards didn't get a chance to look at other places in the world like there are still location wise there are more things to be done there are more places i would love to see like one thing i think uncharted 4 did generally slow the pace down so you just spent more time looking around like there's 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 a lot more kind of platforming exploration even in the linear levels like the scotland level where i was replaying it recently it's it's pretty like you know outside of a couple of fights you're just sort of walking around this very nice coastland i think the uncharted collectible system uh, where there's like hidden trinkets is basically designed to like force you to like engage with their art design because it's like rather than run through this level take a bit of time to look around and pick up glinting balls of light you almost accidentally just spend more time appreciating what it is they've made i'd be sad if that was like a muscle they didn't get to stretch because they're just determined to like show us how unhappy everyone is in the last of us like that isn't particularly that doesn't particularly interest me and i know the last of us does have pockets of beauty in it but not really enough for my money and i like that side of the game so much that i could probably just stomach them like wheeling out the the formula again you know (laughs) one more time really unleash ps5 on it really go for it like visually i i I think i I, i'm kind of dumb enough to to for that to be enough for me i think i don't know I, i just think like the formula will naturally change anyway just as a result of the fact that this is what naughty dog always does there's no there's never a generational leap where they do the same thing again there's mm. like a massive massive difference between the last of us and the last of us part two like just the, mm. the scope of that game is just enormous and like the tone of it is very different you know it's uh it tries to do more in terms of like story and world building and the kind of broader world around you and i think that like I would expect that sort of step up again if they were to do Uncharted again. But I don't think they will. I think um, Naughty Dog is working on two games at the moment, I think they said. And like, I think one is a multiplayer game and one is something else. And so 
I, I would expect that neither of those are Uncharted games. So it would have to come down to someone else to make, is my guess. Um, mm. So yeah, who knows what shape that takes, Matthew. But um, yeah, I uh, sort of, like you, I'm curious to see if it if it comes back in some form. I imagine it will just because it's so enormous, you know. It's got to be more fun working on Uncharted than The Last of Us. <laughs> In terms of like the stuff you have to do and see, and like their attention to detail, like it must be more fun animating a man comically slipping in mud than someone suffocating a dog. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like those have just that's that's just got to be true. Yeah, is this a, you making your hammer dog uh, sound guy uh, point again, Matthew? <laughs> oh yeah, oh, I'm sorry. That's one of my that's one of my ten jokes. <laughs> uh, wheeling it out again that's good that's right below um psychology of a gumba in the uh in the list. So that's, uh, that's good um okay good let's uh, take a quick break there then matthew another break that you have instituted in this uh, plan <laughs> and then we'll um we'll do some rankings and listener questions to see how the episode pure chaos <laughs> back to the podcast so in this part of the episode we're going to do some uncharted rankings there's five different categories here that matthew's come up with the best story the best level the best looking level the best ending and the best game overall game so those are categories that we use to talk about the um the series in these kind of different ways dig a bit deeper into some of the specific bits we like um matthew before we get into that anything you'd like to say about the categories that you've added here uh I mean, no, not really. The things that popped into my head quite early on in the making of this plan. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad I asked. Oh. And you, you obviously had a carefully prepared answer, so that's good. Um. Uh, you know, just remember, like I said earlier, it's very off the cuff. It's very Nathan Drake. If I could, you know how they say there's like some things in life you can be certain of, like death and taxes. They say those are the two yeah. things you can be certain of. I can be certain that Matthew Castle will complain about the Uncharted 4 epilogue in this section of the podcast. Like, I would, like, bet a million pounds on it. I would absolutely... And I would be so rich at the end of it. Um, so we'll see how it pans out. Well, I, but now I have complete control whether you have those riches, though. Yeah, but I mean, I suppose... But I haven't actually made the bet. I'm just saying in a, in oh, a scenario okay. where I didn't say that and where I could actually make the money, I'd do it. But, like, now now you're going to be <laughs> consciously avoiding it. But um, let's, <laughs> let's kick off, then, with the best story in the series. So, Matthew, why don't you tell me yours here and then I'll tell you, uh, tell you mine. I don't know if any of their stories I actually particularly love. I like these characters in the moment-to-moment. Um, I think overarching wise, I think they've actually got some problems with them in terms of in individual moments. I often don't know what I'm actually trying to achieve in Uncharted, but like the craft of p- propelling you through a level is so good that it doesn't really matter. Like I just know that when a tank's chasing you, your worry is like the tank behind you rather than the plot motivation in front of you. Given that Naughty Dog are like considered these sort of storytelling legends, I think the storytelling is some of the some of the weakest parts of these games. The overarching like plots, I would say. I actually think it's Uncharted Lost Legacy for me. Oh, okay, that's interesting. Like, um, I suppose like because it's not overburdened with so many set pieces and the need for so many hours of content it can be a bit slicker with how it's told that story it's also pretty much straight through buddy movie like that you know the 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 two of them together um chloe nadine 
you know, they're basically on screen together for most of the runtime. Um, there are some other uh, surprises along the way that I won't spoil if people who haven't played it. <laughs> I think it's probably like the most focused study of a character relationship, which are important in these games. You know, there, there's always the banter. There's lots of little arcs between Drake and other people, but very few of them that last the length of an entire game like they do here. There's a chance my thinking on this is just skewed because I once watched a, a really good GDC speech by Joshua, one of the writers at uh, Naughty Dog, about st- the storytelling in the um, open world bit where you explore the three temples in like the kind of grasslands. Mm-hmm. And he talks about the challenge of like mapping Naughty Dog's linear style onto that level. Some of the tricks they come up with, some of the solutions, the way they think about it, is so ingeniously done. It's so clever where they put the storytelling in it. Like I didn't really notice it when I was playing it. That's why, like I say, this this take is massively skewed by watching that video. But I found the the kind of mechanics of it almost so delightful that it kind of made me think, oh, that that's that seems like the best storytelling, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, I suppose, like, you are taking... you are you, Storytelling here is how plot is delivered. That's essentially what you're, you're saying. Yeah, I here. guess that's, that's, that's probably overwriting, like, what the plot is. I mean, the plot is still fundamentally two people trying to go somewhere to get some mystical doodad, and there's some military guy who also wants to doodad. I mean, that is pretty much the plot of... <laughs> every single uncharted game and you get to the end and you know you know maybe some lessons are learned along the way and this still suffers from that but definitely the thawing of those characters and the way they kind of warm to each other and become quite good pals if it was a piece of like fit linear film telling it would be there's much more of a clearer through line to lost legacy again because it's not a full title it's not a full price game it was like a like a smaller sort of experiment sort of almost like an expansion that kind of turned into something a bit bigger i will say though i think the best single storytelling moment in the whole series is quite near the start of uncharted 4 where nate uh is diving underwater and then when he emerges it's like a riverbed in a city in that moment you realize that he's like given up this life of adventure for this quite mundane domestic experience i think that's like like in terms of like one bit of visual storytelling i think that's absolutely like top notch about as good as it gets yeah that's really really good yeah i suppose like what i i I noted best story here i suppose like i've thought of it in terms of more like individual bits of story themes that i like and what i mean in the sense that like i agree that the method of storytelling and the elegance of storytelling probably lost legacy is the best one because of the factors you've outlined there but i think that uncharted 4 has the best story in terms of characterization which i think is what I'm interested in when it comes to storytelling ultimately. Right. Okay. Like I struggle when I'm like writing creative stuff, I struggle with plotting quite a lot. But I have a very mm. firm I start character first, have a very firm idea of how those characters sound and stuff like that. And I I think that whenever I watch something or play something, those are the bits I kind of gravitate towards and it, it kind of allows me to overlook sort of bad plotting, I suppose. Like I'm I'm not really a plot holes kind of guy, honestly. Um, right yeah but like if a, if if, a, if something has boring characters and then i'm not interested um but like uh yeah so i think uncharted mm. 4 because even though it's doing something quite similar to uncharted 3 where it's like 
it's the arc of like how much longer can you keep doing this can you keep putting your life Mm. at risk i think because this is a more complete version of that theme realized in four in terms of like drake's interactions with elena and like um his brother being this force is trying to pull him deeper into it um and then also the fact that he is kind of like this semi-mythical hero at this point as well like the end boss is with a a character who can't quite believe that nathan drake has done all the stuff that he's done and he and mm. that he he does have to come out of a normal life in order to 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 become this person and there is that thing where you're like will he pay the ultimate price for making this choice and right until that cave is collapsing when you're abandoning the the ship in um four you're not sure if he'll make it out alive because he seems to make one reckless choice after another and you keep thinking well this will be the the reckless choice that finally costs him his life and so mm. that tension i think for me made it probably the the best story in terms of how i appreciate storytelling does that if that makes sense mm. um yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's interesting that Naughty Dog returned to that, having done that in um, the second cra- Crash Bandicoot as well. <laughs> oh, very good. I like that. That's good. Have I eaten just too much Wumpa fruit? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. Um, so, really good, really good diss there. The real reason that Matthew won't consider Uncharted 4's story to be the best one is that he was forced to play Crash Bandicoot inside the story. I actually, I actually quite like that scene. That's like a thing with the film again. You know, he, in the in the show, in the in the game, he plays a PS4 and he's like, "What's this? I don't know the control." You know, he's not interested in tech at all. Where in the thing, he's like always using his phone to solve problems in the film. Right. And you're like, "Ah, that doesn't that doesn't feel." Does right. he have his little but, book like he does in the games? Ah, uh, he just puts everything on his phone. He could probably just use some notes app. Fuck's sake, that was like <laughs> no, I, don't, I, I can't say I saw him doing anything. He carries around this load of postcards from his brother in the film. I guess that's kind of like the book. Well, I always loved that in the um, in the second game, when you open Drake's diary and you flicked like, the back page or the front page, it would like you go way beyond the mission objective stuff and it's like the many faces of Victor Sullivan and Drake's just drawn <laughs> yeah. Sully in a variety of silly faces. And like those are the kinds of like neat storytelling moments that you remember Uncharted for. Like That's the thing I, you know, I remember from a game I played 13 years ago. So yeah, it yeah. sticks with you for sure. So... But I've also put like um I think I agree that Lost Legacy would be the the runner up here. Um but I did actually I do think Uncharted Three generally is a little bit underrated. I think the story storytelling is in three is good. I'm not massive on the fact that they kind of retrofit Sully into being this father figure, whereas before I sort of sort of the more as like partners in crime sort of thing, and then um four rolls back the Sully relationship a little bit, I think, to be more like it was in one and two. So um but yeah, mm. but I did like parts of three. Like I think like the the sequence in the desert after the set piece I really liked is a bit of reflective what the fuck are you doing Drake you are in the middle of nowhere and you're probably going to die out here all because you just can't let this this bullshit life go and just carry on with your life and yeah so I think that's a, another mm. individual moment of storytelling I really like um, even if it does the whole desert mirage thing which is very played out so uh, yeah <laughs> um, next up Matthew you've got the best level so why don't you kick off with this one this is also quite a tricky one because I think they do a lot of stuff in like the early games, which is like astonishing, and then they kind of riff on it in the later games. And there's things where I feel like, oh, it's that it, almost like it's that effect. It's like they worked out how to like have Nate inside a collapsing building in the hotel sequence in Uncharted Two, but then that collapsing building is done a lot more impressively 
in like four, for example. And so it's quite hard to go whether you go with like the original sequences or whether you go for like a level which tells like a complete story. Like it's, you know, I doubt this would be the top of many people's list and it's, it's not my number one, but like I do love the the auction house scene in four it's a bit like a mission impossible level you sort of break in you do some sort of stuff in the auction house we try and do a heist then it all goes wrong and you have to do an escape and it, it it's really a complete little arc like within that level which i really really like that's what why and also because it's at near the start of the game so whenever i try and replay uncharted 4 it's always, i always get to that bit at least so you know or whether you just go with something which is just so sort of like unbelievably visually astonishing like the ocean liner um tipping over and sinking in uncharted 3 which even having seen it at like the e3 demo i think i was still like amazed playing it which is a slightly rambling way of saying um it's neither of those um (laughs) probably has to be the jeep chase in uncharted 4 okay interesting what are you going down the hill and stuff and then there's the mud kind of actually yeah. the, the, the sort of the chase through town where you end up chasing and then you're getting pulled along by the rope and you're swinging down and then you end up getting chased by that truck basically the e3 demo for uncharted 4 yeah that is good that is good i, I don't know if you get this in in games but i'm always amazed when a, any level in any game takes you over a huge distance yeah because i always think man the amount of world you had to build just for us to race past this it's kind of astonishing and like naughty dog they don't, like, cut corners on that world. Like, if you, you know, you look for a second away from Nate, like, there are other cars driving on the roads, and there are, like, farms and farmers and things, and you're like, someone had to build this. Probably someone quite unhappy had to build this, <laughs> but they did build it. Like, the amount of work that goes into those, into making those sequences feel, like, complete, and the world that complete, I, I, th- I still think that's, I think that's, that's pretty astonishing. Um, I also like that stretch of the game, because it follows the bell tower which i really love where you climb and then the bell collapses that's just really a really fun bit of platforming in that game yeah i almost put the bell tower here for this actually um because i think it's like an individually outstanding moment like i i don't know if it's like entirely a level by itself technically but like it's just Mm. it's just one of those things where you know what's going to happen but then the depiction of how it happens is so so good that like you're just like oh this is beyond my wildest expectations in terms of how amazing this looks, um, yeah, right. And so yeah, and like it's it's you know it's it's just like um, that kind of visual upgrade of uh, having an Uncharted on a more powerful console um, coming to the fore there. Um, that's a good choice. I think that like I have to pick the train sequence in Uncharted too um, mm. because this cemented in my head the greatness of Uncharted as a series. Like it was the the thing of. You had a slow build-up as you go through that kind of warring city, and then you get to this set piece, which almost has like an entire action movie arc in itself. It's like mm. you start at the back, and it's kind of a, it's stealthy and quiet, and then it gets you get into more intense firefights, and then a helicopter turns up, and oh shit, it's really like action-packed suddenly. And then there's like mm. dudes on turrets and really like tough enemies to fight, and then the helicopter comes back, oh shit, and then it's like you've gone from the jungle to the snow. And then, obviously, it ends with the train being completely derailed and connects back to the prologue, which I think is a brilliant bit of um, storytelling as well. Oh, of course, yeah. And so, you know, because you know that you start the game in a train that's like fell off, that's half fell off a cliff. So you kind of like, 
that's you know it's really cool that you kind of know where it's going kind of but you don't know exactly how you get there so Mm. I have to say that 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 sequence is the one where I'm like every time it starts I'm like oh I fucking love this so much it's so good it's so much fun to just like move up this train and see the different bits of it play out and when that chopper turns up it's just like it's it's pure greatness and you see them see it destroy the kind of cars behind you and stuff it's just real real Mm. good um so yeah that's my pick Matthew so next up you've got the uh the best looking level um this is a really quick one for me the island in uncharted 4 um that you go explore in a boat with sam like it's not really like a set pc level but you see that same island in different weather and i think that that's like the nicest like location i guess and i just i found exploring that just wonderful it looks so so beautiful and um, what do you think matthew what's your best looking level from the series yeah I, I wrote the island in Uncharted Four. Oh well, we did that. We'd say same thing. Any more to add on that one? That's that's the one you want to check out on PS Five because that frame rate, that water, it, oh, it looks so good. Oh shit, yeah, that makes me want to get deeper, deeper into it. Um, yeah, yeah, you got to you got to get to that at least. That's that's the one. Yeah, for sure. That's what I want the next Tomb Raider to be. That level is Tomb Raider Underworld on like a mega budget. It's just oh, what a treat. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Good stuff. Um, so the next one you got here is best ending to an Uncharted game, Matthew. What have you got for this one? Considering they they escalate amazingly, I don't think they're very good at endings particularly. Like I often think their best set piece isn't at the end, and some of them end with terrible boss fights. Just given what they pull off elsewhere, I, I'm always surprised that they slightly kind of biff the endings. I'm always like, wow, I would have really held back something huge, huge, huge for this. Um, I quite like Uncharted Three, like the collapse of the city into the sand. Yeah. That's that's that's. that's that's up there for me. Our city rules as well, like to look at. Yeah, that's I mean, that's one of the best looking levels in the series as well. Mm. Probably going to go with the end of Lost Legacy, which is so almost a contender for my best level as well, in that it's kind of like a best of like mega mix of like of the train in Uncharted Two, but also like the Jeep chase. Of which they've done it a couple of times. They did it in two and three, where you're kind of like jumping between vehicles. I always really like that thing where it's like a shootout across moving vehicles. I think they do that really, really well because, you know, you're basically just on two moving platforms. But in the moment, you're like, how the fuck are they doing this? This is moving so fast. You know, it has such like energy and momentum to it. And here, like you're on the train, you're jumping onto a car, you're driving around, you're back on the train. You're constantly shifting between the Jeep and the car. You know, you're trying to get to this station. So oh, I'm spoiling the end of <laughs> Lost Legacy for those who haven't played it. Anyway, there's a lot of stuff on a train but you also get the fun of the jeep it switches up really seamlessly and it just feels like in that moment the world feels like as big as anything could be and again you're covering like miles and miles of terrain it is a couple of things they've done already it does feel like you're playing those scenes from the previous games but i love the mashup of them and it ends with a really uh just a really satisfying shot of the two characters that i, I really love yeah, and and a one of the less heinous boss battles. <laughs> yeah, I would say it's like the only boss battle that's not really annoying. Like, um, yeah, I think that I was actually kind of surprised that they. I don't think three doesn't have like a boss boss, right? It's just like those fire dudes, and then you run out of the city. Is that right? You actually have a little fist fight with um, what's his chops? Oh yeah, um, Helen Mirren's sidekick. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Helen Mirren herself disappears into some quicksand, if I recall. Helen Mirren gets sucked into some sand, and then her mate is, like, really upset. He must be a big Helen Mirren fan. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and then you... But it's it's quite, you know, it's it's using the, the, the fistfight system, which is quite broad and friendly. Total, total side note, Matthew. Um, I, for ages, 
I used to when you could um, when the PlayStation Store was on PS3, you could download trailers to watch them. I don't think you could just watch them there and then back then. And I had the right. Uncharted three, like a Gamescom trailer or something, saved on my PS3. And it was just the opening after the bar fight where the Helen Mirren character goes up to Nathan Drake and goes, you get off on all this, don't you? And like, I watched that <laughs> clip probably 20 times. And like, I have the way that the Helen Mirren character says that burned into my brain. And like, every now and then I just hear, you get off on all this, don't you? And like, that's right there, right? I'm always like about to think about that at some point. But um yeah. Maybe I'll put a clip of it in the episode now <laughs> so people can hear it. There you go. Insert here. You get off on all this, don't you? If this podcast is about anything, it's that I had too much time on my hands in 2011. That's like what this podcast is about. Um, so my best ending, I'm picking Uncharted 4. I like the epilogue with the kids. Sorry, Matthew. That's where I'm at with it. Um, it's all right. Yeah, I think it's earned, personally. I don't think that the boss fight with Watson's face is very good, though. It's, it's when you have to have a tutorial of like a whole new combat system <laughs> for the fight you're about to have yeah that's weird it's also like um the boss fight with um brucey from gta 4 in uncharted 2 like when that you gotta shoot those big blue sacks to pop on him or whatever and you're like this is very very silly um and it's like it's weird that they they never quite learned their lesson from these bad boss fights and kept doing them which is kind of strange because in bioshock they just after the first one didn't have a good boss fight to end they were like well no we just won't do them again then and like it was a good, it was a good move um so yeah um that's my take then yeah so uncharted 4 so finally matthew the best game in the series this has to be one answer surely what have you picked for this one it's probably uncharted 4 yeah you're gonna say lost legacy for all these categories i had written in my notes like very tentatively is it uncharted 3 (laughs) (laughs) i think like i think the point you identified when we talked about this in best games of 2011 that it's just too annoying in places with the enemy types. Like, some of the elite enemy types with shotguns and shit yeah. just make it too annoying. That shipyard with all the snipers is too annoying. This episode I'm, it is one of the ones I'm most paranoid about, that I've gone back on something I've already said <laughs> and reversed one of my opinions. I've said my previous opinions without thinking too deeply about Uncharted, and now I've been thinking about it intensively. It has got a great load of variety, Uncharted 3, though. Yeah, you did also incept into my head the idea that three was better than two in some ways because years ago you've you've always been a big uncharted fan i remember like when we worked at the office together you said to me there's the way that the um the uncharted three in the nathan drake collection does that final city like portrays that location is better than anything else in that collection in terms of like it's clearly just extraordinary art and like loads of time and effort put into it and it just looks fabulous Mm. and like i um I really agreed after playing it again. I think I got new appreciation for Uncharted 3 after um, playing it again. There is some good variety in that game. You've got the bar fight oh. and, you know, you've got some Charlie Cutter fun character. You've got the, ha- the castle that sets on fire. Yeah, yeah. If anything, they, I don't know why they didn't bring um, Cutter back into uh, Lost Legacy. That would have been more fun than the guy they do bring in. Who I Oh, yeah, with. I like that character. Yeah, he was good. He was good. Um, yeah. I think 4 is slightly... Like, slightly lower key than the other ones. My take was going to be that I thought they were a little bit embarrassed of Uncharted after The Last of Us. That's a very extreme take, and I, I won't go through with it. <laughs> because of Amy Hennig leaving and, like, uh, Druckmann and Straley coming in, you start, like, mapping narratives onto the game, and you're like, oh, yeah, this feels more like The Last of Us. This is a slightly more, like, dangerous, sinister, unhappy world. But actually, playing it now, I'm like, 
there's this dumb like Mission Impossible level at the auction. There's a huge tower that collapses. He gets dragged along by a jeep for about a hundred miles. <laughs> I mean, it's it's stuffed as shit and really well executed. <laughs> yeah, it's just more spread out. Um, four is definitely the best yeah. one. Um, four is like the best shooter. It has the stealth bits, which are fine. I think um, it looks extraordinary. It's uh, yeah, set pieces are spread out, but they're uh, they're very very good. Um, yeah, I, I I'm still very fond of four. And yeah. I think it's like it just it just simply has not dated in the way that the PS3 ones have. Like the PS3 ones have definitely dated. Um, it's just you notice it when you uh, contrast the two, as you said earlier. So Matthew, mm. we've done it. That was our Uncharted episode. Oh, uh, what a ramble! <laughs> it really was. Was it the most rambly episode ever? Only you at home can decide. Um, there are numerous ways to tell us that, including our new Discord, which you can find on um, uh, Twitter in the profile. Uh, description for like uh, for our Twitter page at Backpage Pod, you'll find the link to the Discord. I'm not prepared to go Nitro and create a custom link for the Discord just yet. Um, maybe that could be a Patreon goal. I don't know. What is that? I don't even know what that means. <laughs> is that like a is that like a bit of youth swing? <laughs> no, no, no. That's like that's just a a, di- a paid tier they have in um, oh, right. Discord. Because I, I I also will not go Nitro. <laughs> uh, so um. so yes. Um, so uh, to end with Matthew, we have some listener questions here. Like uh, oh yeah, I forgot. About yeah, those. I hope that's okay. Just a few of them. Here. Yeah, um, because we have like a list of questions uh, channel in uh, on the, in the Discord. We're getting loads of them now, which is quite nice because it means we've got plenty to dig into. Um, so, Matthew, do you want to read this first one? Hi, both medium turn listener, first time questioner. I just got Monster Hunter Rise for the Switch almost a year after it came out. I absolutely love it, and I'm now questioning why didn't I get it earlier? I could have been playing it this whole time. Have you ever had that with a game? The one that you took a while to get around to and loved so much you wish you played earlier. Love the show, including the existentialism. That's from Roberto Carlos. Yeah, uh, so I've got loads of games that this describes. Probably Deus Ex from last year is the most the one that springs to mind. Um, but I quite enjoyed vi- mm. revisiting that years later. I mean, I'm currently playing Horizon, and um, I do sort of wish I'd tick this off when I was playing like 400 hours of Destiny instead, um, just because I had all that time <laughs> I could have just poured into this. So I could be playing the sequel right now, but that's more of a time management thing than a kind of like coming to a game later on and being dazzled by it. I will also say to Roberto Carlos, Monster Hunter Rise is not an old game, really. It's like a year old, so shouldn't feel too bad about coming to it at this point. Yeah. Um, do you have any answer for this one, Matthew? Uh, I played the Dragon Age games very late and kind of wish I'd got it on board with them earlier because, uh, you know, I like the vibe of them and I don't know why it took so long. For years and years, I just sort of sneered at people being memey about the characters on Twitter and then you play them and you're like, oh yeah, they're good characters, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just because if you're sort of like... Um bored of fantasy tropes generally and you feel like you're just seeing those rehashed in a in an rpg in like um except now the characters are like extra horny you're probably like oh, i don't really give a fuck but then you play and you're like oh yeah these uh these people sure can write witcher 2 as well um i played it just before the witcher 3 came out which is a bit of a gap i think yeah i was instantly like so so in on it i loved it i loved it yep good answers matthew so Okay, next up, um, another one from this one's from Alex on uh, Discord. So, hi guys, I've been listening to the pod for about a year and really enjoy it, especially the magazine chat. I've never stopped buying print mags. One thing I've had to get used to, though, is your use of the word cursed. What makes something cursed? <laughs> is it just something that's bad, or does an evil witch have to put have to have put a spell on it? Thanks, Alex. Um, so, the word cursed, Matthew. I mean, I feel like you know it when you see it. It's like, <laughs> right? It's like. I, if, if I can give you a very specific example of something, right? Like, there is an episode of the anthology show 
Tales of the Unexpected, where um, a bloke hates his wife, played by Joan Collins, and then chops her head off at the end, and it's a bit of dark humour. And it's all like very sort of 70s and kind of grim interior design and grim-looking Britain from the 70s vibe to it. That's cursed. That's an example of something that's cursed. Um, like a, a like a really shit-looking picture of a roast. Sorry, like like a roast dinner or like a cooked breakfast on a cafe on a cafe menu, a laminated cafe menu, and it's like discolored. Right? That's cursed. Like there are just these are just two examples. There are many. Any thoughts on this, Matthew? And from that, you have to work out the definition of cursed. <laughs> So it's like an episode from Tales of the Unexpected that you've not seen and a picture of a roast that Sam is imagining. <laughs> Good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> it's just an internet term. I've picked it up because other people say it and I'm quite like this with words. In every every couple of years, I've got a few words which I massively overuse until someone points it out, uh, like in this message, and then I get really self-conscious about it and never say it again. <laughs> That's why Matthew never says I'm a big uh, brackets game series head anymore or like <laughs> I've got big X energy. I'll tell you what's cursed in Bath for the people who are planning to come to Bath for the uh, back page tour. <laughs> there's a... <laughs> There's a ice cream store, which has got outside. It, it's got like a plastic ice cream cone with a boy, a, um, a statue of like a boy sitting in the ice cream bit of the cone, like eating the ice cream from underneath him. I think that's cursed. <laughs> you are absolutely right. If you saw it, you'd know exactly why it was cursed. Like, just like um, if you ever read about the uh, uh, like uh, Noel's house party, Mister Blobby theme park attraction. Like, and look at pictures yeah. of it, that's cursed. Um, in fact, just Mr. Blob, Mr. Blobby generally is quite cursed, I would say. Do you ever tell you about my Mr. Blobby incident? Uh, I feel like Mr. Blobby has come up before on this, on this podcast, but maybe not an incident, so please go ahead. I went to that theme park where there's Mr. Blobby World, or oh, whatever, right. and it had, a miniature, it had a miniature railway that ran, like, the perimeter of the park, okay. and um, there was, like, a big castle, which was, like, Noel Edmonds, it's Crinkly Bottom, it was meant to be, and it's where they did, like, the Mr. Blobby stage show. And the miniature railway went round the back of the of the, the 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 building where they held that stage show, and I saw half of Mister Blobby having a fag. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Oh. That was cursed. Oh. <laughs> oh, I was not ready to be confronted with that anecdote on a Monday night. Holy shit, that's so good. <laughs> Wasn't that theme park like a famous disaster? Like, did they see or something? It was like a whole thing, wasn't it? Um, For me, that's the day the magic died. <laughs> well, there you go. So you've got uh, you've got like a Mr. Blobby stage show behind the scenes, tells the unexpected, um, a, a picture of a cooked breakfast that I've imagined, um, and, a, and, a, and a boy eating ice cream off of himself on a statue. Like, those are like your points of reference. Uh, we wish you the best of luck. That's kind of what I'm Okay, so here's, uh, here's a bit more straight-faced one, Matthew. This is from Gadget8Bit on Discord. If you could fuse any game world with any genre you enjoy, what would it be? For instance, Dead Space's setting, but with the mechanics of a 2D Metroid, would absolutely be my jam. I could, I could say that working quite well. I'd have to be a bit slower paced than a Metroid, I would say, but 
That, those are all, that's me, mm. that bit. Um, what do you think about this one, Matthew? I swear, didn't we? Yeah, you said open world Monkey Island, didn't you? Sorry to recycle a previous answer, but I still think open world Monkey Island, explore it. Basically, Assassin's Creed 4, but with like the art and humour and character of a monkey of Monkey Island's Caribbean. Oh, I'd love that. That'd be great. Yeah, I'd be curious. It's a, quite a random one I've just sort of plucked out of thin air. Um, I'd like a side-scrolling Devil May Cry I would play. Um, I think that could work quite well. Just sort of like a sort of more action version, actiony version of a Castlevania type game. Um, and it's got like a lot of its same move set and the juggling and stuff like that. And you're dealing with volume of enemies. So it's got a bit of a Dead Cells vibe. That could work quite well. Um, yeah, Ooh. I've really kind of plucked that out of nowhere to be honest. But um, it's definitely not that. But the slightly more varied combat in the the 3ds castlevania mirror of fate Mm. like you know while it is sort of a metroidvania the combat was still quite like lords of shadow the main series so it had a bit more kind of depth to it and i i actually thought that worked really well in 2d i like um another one that i kind of wanted to happen is happening which is um a star wars turn-based game like uh, that's happening from some former XCOM people uh, published by EA that was announced recently who have become part of uh, Respawn, I think, under their kind of like vague oh, umbrella. I don't even, remember, I don't even hear oh, that. Oh, did that pass you by? There were like um, three Star Wars games they revealed. There's a Jedi Fallen Order sequel, um, a, a first-person shooter made by that team that made the uh, Medal of Honor VR game, I think, and then I think some new people were working on it too. And then, Ooh. yeah, this, um, this turn-based game made by one of the leads on XCOM 2. So, um, yeah. That's uh, that's quite exciting. I, think, uh, I kind of just want to see Star Wars apply to a variety of genres, really. Match three, you name it, basically. So, yes. Um, if video games cease to exist, what would you do with your time? That's from Mega Slippers, Matthew. I read and watch film television as much as I play games, so I just do more of those. Sorry, that's a really boring answer. It is true, though. It is true. <laughs> do you think we would have found ourselves doing a podcast regardless? I don't know. I think we would have felt quite self-conscious about doing a film podcast because we didn't have the background for it do you know what i mean like yeah yeah i don't know i mean you know a lot of this i could see a film podcast where a lot of the same sandwich talk and cursed bath objects come up over and over again but <laughs> i don't know it's um yeah hard to say matthew we luckily we don't live in that reality we live in this reality if that reality didn't exist i wouldn't even be in bath i would never have met you so that's true would brexit have happened it's like a butterfly effect thing <laughs> <laughs> People, more youngsters would have voted because they would have been wasting less time playing, like, Pokemon Go. (laughs) (laughs) I love that idea. Because you picked a game from 2016 as well. That makes that extra good. (laughs) If only people weren't catching Pidgeys, they would have... uh, That's it. It would have turned the vote around. And, uh, yeah. Just because all these feckless teenagers (laughs) would rather find a diglet than stay stay in Europe. Unbelievable. (laughs) I look forward to your uh, your sci-fi novel, Matthew. That's good. Um, yeah, so I think I, I agree with this. If anything, games are just stopping me from being more responsible in my spare time and doing a bigger variety of things. I'm always amazed by Matthew's discipline with like watching everything, reading everything, doing everything he wants to do. Matthew is so good at like organizing his time. Whereas I'll just have like a whole evening where it's like, I think I'll just stare at a wall tonight and uh, eat some like uh, dark chocolate buttons. And that's like a whole evening for me. (laughs) Whereas I feel like Matthew will always fill his evening with um, like good things to like leisure activities. Would you say that's fair, Matthew? Yeah, and I would say like I could probably afford to like invest a bit more in my own like creative thinking or trying to achieve something in my own time rather than just 
consuming mountains of other people's work but you know let's let's not get too deep into <laughs> therapy <laughs> no let's move on to a, another fun one here matthew which is um uh, what were your favourite lunches in London? Brackets, Pret is not an acceptable answer. That's from Zach Forrest on uh, on Discord. Well, that's uh, not wrong with Pret. Uh, no, nothing wrong with Pret. I mean, if you're at a, if you're at the you know the a station and it's the only thing that's open, like I'd always go for an upper crust first of all, try and get me a uh, a basic bitch cheddar and uh, tomato um, baguette. But um, you know, Pret is an mm. acceptable alternative. Well, it's the same price everywhere. That's the thing with Pret. It's uh, democratic in that way. Um, but what are your favourite food places in London, Matthew? You lived there for years. You must have plenty of them. Yeah, I mean, I lived there for years, but I was always poor because I was on a not great future salary in London. You used to have, in um, Marlebone Station, there was this cheese shop that did really nice cheese sandwiches. I want to say it was called, like, like World of Cheese or something. <laughs> something quite broad. That was quite nice. <laughs> By West Hampstead Station, there was this really nice... I don't know if it was like Persian, but it was kind of like rice and sort of chicken and lamb sort of kebab type things. I can't remember what it's called, but it was right next to West Hampstead Station. Like, you know, it was, it was the neighbouring shop. I used to go there a lot when I was, you know, taking Catherine out on our first dates and trying to impress her. But otherwise, mainly junk. Me and Joe Screbs, who was a staff writer on O&M at the time, we used to go to Subway a lot and we used to get really cross. There was a man there who was incredibly stingy with the lettuce. Right. As, and you're like, lettuce is like the most common ingredient. Like that thing is practically, it's just like water, isn't it? Like lettuce is nothing. <laughs> That's no value. And he, was, he used to sprinkle it on and his name was Altaf. <laughs> Right. And we used to call him Al. We used to call him Al Taff the Sprinkler. I can't uh, believe you remember his name. That was like, <laughs> well, as I remember him because he was Al Taff the Sprinkler <laughs> uh, because he was really stingy with the uh, with the lettuce. I mean, how many years ago was this? And you're just like, it was Al Taff. He was stingy with the lettuce. <laughs> like... That was that was like eight years ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh, amazing. Um, yeah, you always remember bull, the bull, the good bullshit. Yeah, I would say that's true. Yeah, yeah, I I do like that you named like two places and then went to Subway. That was really funny. Like, uh, I don't think <laughs> I don't think you realise how funny that is that you kind of run out of places like almost immediately. <laughs> oh, anyway, um, yeah, okay. So I've got a few a few to mention here. So oh, um, got it. You're a gourmand. It's, rem- <laughs> it's remembering the names of all of them that's hard. Um, it's like in terms of chains, there's the um, uh dirty bone no not dirty bones i'm thinking bit uh what's it called damn it it was um bone daddies that was it that's the uh ramen place <laughs> dirty, bones. <laughs> dirty bones is another place in, in near soho actually it's really good that 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 does like fancy cocktails and fried chicken but um mm. uh, bone daddies is uh i'm sure a lot of people in london will be familiar with it it's like a ramen place basically um did seem to have like a bit of a pandemic deprived menu they used to do a lovely soft shell crab in a ramen and they stopped doing that after the pandemic and i thought i guess i guess covid killed crabs or something i don't know but um yeah that's that's what happened there um that was good. I used to love this fried chicken place uh, that was also near Soho called Billy and the Chicks. That was actually one of the cheapest, nicest places in London. I did like a mean mac and cheese that went with the um, the chicken. That was really tasty. Um, there is, uh, I think it's like a picture house cinema called the Electric Cinema in Notting Hill. And that has a delicious, uh, loads of delicious food in this American style cafe that's attached to it. So like the Electric Cinema Cafe, it's called or something like that. That's 
that's a great place for like that dinery style food that you don't really get um in many places in the uk um so i rate that um those are the places that come to mind matthew there's also lots of nasty places at paddington i've had after going to like uh, future for the day that i won't uh, go into here um and uh, <laughs> also paddington has that really like that the off-brand um angus steakhouse uh that i always see and laugh at it's kind of like the ken's fried chicken of um uh steak places but um we don't need to litigate that so uh, do you want to read out the next one, Matthew? I think old games getting re-released with newly created expansions, like the Quake remaster with new levels by Machine Games, is very cool. What's your dream version of this? For example, Bethesda could definitely sell me Morrowind yet again if they included new DLC with an extra city and quests. That's from John Cheatham. I have a few answers for this. If they like re- if they did a new version of um, uh, GTA 4 with another kind of like lost and damn sized expansion set in that city. I think that would rule. Um, they will never do that. But if they were like, oh yeah, so we're, you know, we're re-releasing uh, GTA 4. It's got the previous DLC. We're giving it a bit of a facelift. Um, but And it's out now on PS5 or whatever. And it's like, yeah, here's here's like eight hours more game with a new playable character. And his story intersects with the other characters like the... Um, like happens in the other expansions, that would be cool. Um, I also thought that, like, um, if they did another Command and Conquer remaster, as I predicted in our episode, um, the predictions episode, if they did like more Red Alert Two levels, a Red Alert Two expansion, and added a new faction, that would rule. I think when they do that mm. in like an RTS, like Age of Empires Two, who's had a whole bunch of them over the years from these fan developers turned like um, custodians of the game that would be cool so those are those are my answers Matthew do you have an answer for this one I loved the expansions for the Witcher 3 uh, I thought that's where some of the best stuff happened in that world it's almost like they'd so fully worked out what made that game tick and then they stopped working on it I'm that's the curse of these things you know often the you know the, the expansions they've you know in in like RPGs have got some really juicy fun stuff in it I mean Maybe that's a bit of a basic answer, but um, yeah, I would happily go for another, um, you know, it doesn't even have to be a new region, it could be like uh, Hearts of Stone to stick in some mad, mad quests, I'd be up for that. Oh yeah, if they added like another expansion to The Witcher 3 tomorrow, that would be like a mega seller, like people would be well up for that, I reckon, because um, the game yeah. hasn't gone anywhere, people are still playing it and buying it, you know. Yeah, I'd like, I, I'd rather that than have to wait for a potential Witcher 4 if they ever do that, though I was excited to see that they're, they're doing more standalone Gwent games. I don't know if that's going to be like Thronebreaker because that was rad as hell, but um, I'd definitely be up for another one of those. It sounds like there's at least like two different former Witcher studios going around making RPGs now too. So yeah, that's kind of cool. There's like a Witcher likes becoming a kind of a subgenre. Maybe that could be kind of good. Mm. Dark fantasy games. Um, okay, yeah, great question there. So thank you for all those questions. Like I say, if you want to send us questions, backpagegames at gmail for the email. And it's um, the Discord you can find at BackpagePod on Twitter. Matthew, where can people find you on social media? At MrBasil underscore Pesto. I'm Samuel W. Roberts. I don't remember what next week's episode is about, but let's assume it's going to be a good one. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.